Good morning, Crosspoint. Good morning. morning. It's wonderful to see you guys all here, Uh, all my Sun Chasers. Good morning, Sun Chasers. We've got something up here for you guys in a little bit, so um, stick with us, and we'll have you guys come up and join me here in a little bit. Uh, This is exciting. This is the first time getting to see all this up here. I'm really looking forward to this week, Uh, and I appreciate all you guys being here this morning. I want to start talking to you guys this morning about uh, time. Uh, Time is something that's always passing around us each and every moment. As you guys got up this morning, uh, time is passing for some of you maybe more quickly than you would have liked. When you got here thinking, I didn't have enough time to get ready. We're strange creatures in that we think about time and the passage of time, and we're often so concerned about what's going to happen next. Our life's filled with these kinds of questions. I get this from my boys. When's dinner? Right? What time are your parents coming over next week? Um, when's, when's the baseball game coming up next? When do you have to leave tomorrow? There's all these questions about time that we hear on a day-to-day basis. And so we're going to be reading from Luke today. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to find Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to be starting. See, in Luke chapter 17, we're going to see the uh, Pharisees ask Jesus about timing. Specifically, they're going to want Jesus to tell about the timing of the coming of God's kingdom. He's going to give them an unexpected answer, and then he's going to go on to teach his disciples about his second coming in the passages we're going to read today. See, as we read about timing this morning from God's word, the words of Jesus to the Pharisees, the words of Jesus to his disciples, I want us to get a picture here on July 11th, 2021. See, there's a reference to time again of what it means to live in light of Christ's future return but also what it means for us here this morning to live as citizens of God's kingdom right now in this moment and in the next moment and in the next moment. So think about time and as this, uh, thinking about this message, I was reflecting back in the past few years. Um, and if any of you know, my wife and my family like to take trips out. We'll pack up in the summer. Uh, my wife and I are both teachers, and so we'll pack up our tent, some sleeping bags, food and chairs and other supplies, and we'll head out uh, to some place out around the United States. Our first time we did this with our boys was four years ago when we were heading out to the Rocky Mountains. Uh, it's a really beautiful place to be out there in the Rocky Mountains, but it, it takes a lot of time to travel out there. Uh, have you ever traveled from central Illinois out to the west? You first have to travel through the great state of Illinois, and then you enter into Iowa and see more cornfields. And then you, you go into Nebraska, which I didn't figure out until I was driving you through. It's about 450 miles long, and it, it takes an awful lot of time to drive through Nebraska. Now, that's all on the way out to getting to our final destination, which were the Rocky Mountains for our boys. They'd never been there before. They hadn't been to see the Rocky Mountains. But in preparation, my wife does a really good job of educating them with books to read about the Rocky Mountains, watch videos where they would see the Rocky Mountains. They had some curiosity, anticipation about what that was going to be like. Dad, what's it going to be like to be at 14,000 feet? What am I going to be able to see? What's going to happen at the end of our trip there when we get to the Rocky Mountains? There was this real strong anticipation by our boys as they were getting ready to go to the mountains. But really our journey began long before that, right? Our journey began when we left the driveway. So as I think back to that trip, I can think about those times of being in the mountains with the boys and my wife and seeing the snow that was there in June and the excitement they had. But I also think back to leaving the driveway. There's an anticipation when they left in the driveway of what was to come. Uh, There were some planned activities that we had in that two-day drive all the way through those roads to get out there. 
there was the inevitable um, souring of attitudes that the boys had. We'd spent like a little bit too long of a time in the car without taking a break to stretch our legs. And there were unexpected conversations all along the way with the boys. So while they were looking at anticipation of where we were going to end up, there was this whole journey that we had to go through on our way to get there. And as we read through Luke this morning, I want us to get a picture of that as well. That we are anticipating the glorious return of Jesus Christ. But I want us to also think about what God's called us to in the here and now in this moment. So as we're getting into Luke 17, as we get to our passage from this morning, we know that Jesus has his sight set on Jerusalem. This is something you may have heard from week in and week out. Knowing that he must suffer many things, knowing that he's going to be rejected by mankind. Knowing his body is going to be broken for the sinfulness of man. Yet at the same time, in all this of what's to come, he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching people through parables. We were last week about healings that Jesus uh, performed as well. Last week we studied about how he cleansed ten lepers. It's not the first and it's not the last time that we'll hear about Jesus' healing on his way to Jerusalem. Another thing that's common throughout the reading of Luke is we see interactions with the Pharisees. It's been common to see the Pharisees question Jesus and then him to respond to them. What we're going to see today is questions from the Pharisees that are going to continue to reveal that they are blind to who Jesus is. They're going to fail to see that Jesus is actually the Son of God, that he's God in the flesh, and their questions are going to reveal that blindness. And so I'd encourage you guys, if you want to open up to Luke 17, we're going to read from verses 20 and 21 to get us started today. There's a section of scripture we're going to read. We're going to start in those two verses. So from Luke 17, verses 20 and 21, reads this. We enter into this conversation with Jesus and the Pharisees. It says, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there. For you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. As we begin our study this morning, we're going to see this questioning of the Pharisees towards Jesus about when the kingdom of God would come. They want to know something about timing. Now, before we get into Jesus' response, which I think is so interesting, I want to give a little perspective and thought about what the Pharisees may have been thinking as they were preparing these questions and what they're hoping to accomplish with this line of questioning. See, the Pharisees would have been well studied in the scriptures. They would have known different signs they would have expected to come with the Messiah. It's likely that so many of that day, they would have been looking for a sign of a powerful Messiah coming to save um, the Israelites from the um, Roman Empire, a mighty leader who would rule. Um, instead, what they see in front of them is Jesus. They, they see a carpenter with, with a ragtag group of disciples. And this isn't saying that those disciples had special knowledge as well. We're going to see later on in our text that they're going to come to question Jesus and ask him what's going on as well, and he'll provide them clarity in time. So one thing we want to keep in mind here is that Jesus says to the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is not coming with something observable. No one's going to say to them, see here or see there. It's likely that anyone hearing the questions or those even asking the questions would have been leaning in at this point in time to hear what Jesus was going to say to them. As I read through the Gospels, a lot of times I imagine what those conversations must have been like. And so there's a few different people I kind of think about and picture in this instance. There's some who would have been leaning in. Jesus is going to tell us when his kingdom is going to come. Like, we're going to get a clear path as to what that's going to look like. We're going to know that plan and see what it's going to look like. I imagine with some of the Pharisees and some of the other people around might have been, this is the question they're going to catch him. He's not going to know how to answer this one. Right, and I'd like to think that there's people who had been following Jesus, had heard him teach before, including the disciples, who would have been standing there going, I don't know how Jesus is going to answer this question. But I'm pretty certain it's not going to be what anyone else is expecting. 
So before we reread what Jesus did say to the Pharisees, I want to take us back real quick to our study in Luke. We've been going through Luke from the very beginning. We'll go to the very end. In Luke chapter 7, we see an instance where John the Baptist had been imprisoned and sent his followers to talk to Jesus and said, hey, are you the coming Messiah or should we seek for another? These things aren't working out maybe like I planned them to work out. And so he asked Jesus this through his followers. And so Jesus responds in Luke chapter 7 to John's followers to tell John this. Jesus says, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. See, we see here early in Luke that Jesus isn't talking about the signs that the Pharisees may have expected to see. He's talking about something entirely different. He's not talking about coming as some mighty leader or even an earthly king. There's something strangely going on that's different with the kingdom of God. As we studied last week, before um, our scripture reading from today, we heard about Jesus cleansing the ten lepers, which is one of the things he tells John's followers to go back and report to him. The kingdom is not coming with what we would see as an earthly power or a, a mighty earthly king, but it's coming in the actual person of Jesus Christ. And so that's when Jesus turns to the Pharisees and he says, for you see, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus says that the kingdom isn't something to be hunted after or something to look for by signs. It's not here. It's not there. It's not a physical place in time. It's actually come in the person of Jesus Christ. And so there's a reckoning that the Pharisees have to have with that statement. Right? There's a reckoning that the disciples have had with that statement as we've read through Luke and watched the ministry of Jesus Christ and the training of his disciples. And there's a reckoning each of us have to have this morning as we read this scripture as Jesus says that the kingdom of God is in their midst. So it says here that since the kingdom of God is in their midst, that means that Jesus is the presence of God in human form. He's come to inaugurate his kingdom with his very presence. He's the Messiah. And he knows the disciples have and will go on to declare him as such um, after his death and resurrection. And so not only the Pharisees and the disciples, but us right here this morning, as we continue to read the scripture, have to reckon and deal with the fact that Jesus is saying that he is the Christ of God, just as Peter declared him to be earlier in our Gospel of Luke. So a few minutes after this interchange, we're going to read about Jesus talking with the disciples. We're going to hear about him sharing about his second coming. And we're going to end this question with the disciples asking a question. Because they too are not going to have a full understanding of what Jesus is talking about. They're going to go on to live a mission on life for God. They're going to live as the body of Christ, declaring the glory of God to all that they know and everyone that they meet throughout their life. But at this moment, there's going to be some confusion and misunderstanding, and they're going to have to question Jesus going, what are we talking about here? What does it look like to follow Jesus Christ in the here and now? And so one thing that Jesus wants them to capture is the idea that although there is a second coming, he has a purpose and a will for them right there in that moment. So when I think about this, I think about the idea of hindsight a lot. This is an interesting thing, and going back to the car analogy, it's looking in that rearview mirror and seeing all those things that happen behind you. The interesting thing about hindsight is that as you move on in time, you can look back at those moments in time with more clarity. We can see what was going on and have a better understanding. And what that helps us to do is in our present moment, understand that we can trust and follow Jesus. 
So when I talk about our family trip to Colorado, I want you to think that those two days were filled with just joyous times of singing um, and, and silence and reading scripture together, right? There's, this, there's all these different aspects of it. There were plenty of times where we were listening to books on tape and, and having wonderful conversations together, but there were also times in that walk and that two-day trip where we were on each other's nerves. Forgiveness needed to be asked for, right? Um, our sons needed to be trained to be uh, men of God even at the young ages of would have been five and eight at that point in time. And so through this journey, God is teaching his disciples, too, what it means to be a follower of Christ. That it requires forgiveness, that it requires dependence on Christ, and a trust in him as well. See, as we think about the hindsight, too, I was thinking about some of the ways that Jesus describes the kingdom of God. And I was thinking back to you guys, sun chasers. Can I wave at you guys? Sun chasers, can you wave at me? You guys are, yeah, we're all through there. Cool. And um, I want us to take us back just a moment to Luke 13. Now, this was back from the earlier last fall. We talked about some of the kingdom parables. And if you guys have been with us through our study of Luke, you guys actually would have studied this as well. So I'm going to ask my sun chasers to help me out with a couple of motions. And those of you who are young at heart, you can also feel free to to do this along with the kids as well. But the kingdom of God is strangely different than the kingdoms of this earth. And Jesus talked about that in some of the parables he taught. And so one of the parables comes in chapter 13 of Luke, verses 18 through 21. And so we're going to read those together. And the first one has to do with a mustard seed. So sun chasers, if you guys can do something with me, these motions are something I practiced with my son Eli and asked him. First, he didn't remember them, but as we started to go through them, he remembered them. So we'll see if you guys can help me out. Can you guys hold out your finger like this? Just one little finger out in front of you. Yeah. A mustard seed's tiny, right? It's little. It sits on the end of your hand right there. And if, if you drop it into the grass, boop, it, you might never find it. It might disappear. So we're going to hold it very carefully there as we read how Jesus describes the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and what can I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Now we did this back in Sun Chasers. We had our seed, holding it really carefully and the little hole in the ground. You guys want to take your other hand? And you can go and drop that little seed in. Right? What does Jesus say happens there? Right, that little seed grows into a mighty tree. Now, you got some neighbors right next to you, but if you want to, go and stretch your arms out nice and far. It says, yeah, be careful not to poke your neighbor in the eye. Yeah. Jesus says that his kingdom grew and it gave life to all those around him. Good, yeah, okay. So, yeah, there, that's great. You guys, that's wonderful. All right, so there's a second one of the kingdom parables we talked about as well. And so, before we do that one, can you guys clasp your hands real tight together? This is how we describe this second parable. So, we continue on in verses 20. Jesus says again, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it was all leavened. Now, I'm not a baker, but I know that leaven or yeast causes that bread to expand. So again, it's this tiny little thing, but if you guys want to cause your hands, and again, watch out for your neighbors there, maybe you go up and down or outside, to expand and grow. So we see these couple, that's, I, I love the fact there are kids, and kids are hard alike all participating in that. That's fantastic. We see a couple instances of how Jesus is describing his kingdom to those who are listening. Again, we have the wonderful ability to see what Jesus is saying here in Luke 17 and look back to how he's described his kingdom before and put those things all together. We can see that Jesus' arrival is like that tiny seed. It might be small and insignificant to the human eye, and you might not even be able to see it very well, but God's work is going to be accomplished despite what human eyes may see. Or it's like the leaven that spreads all through the bread It can be easily missed, but make no mistake, once it takes hold, there's no going back. There's no way you can put that big tree back into the little sea. There's no way that the leaven can be taken out of the bread. God's at work through his people in all time that has occurred into this very moment. 
And see, Jesus recognizes that the Pharisees are missing the point, that he is God and he brings the kingdom with him in their midst. Jesus also knows that many are going to look for signs or simply to be healed. Think of nine of the ten lepers that we read about from last week. And they're going to miss the redemption offered by Christ. So as we continue to read and to study this morning, I want us to be aware of the warnings Jesus offers to his disciples and how we too may be reminded to fix our eyes on Christ as a way of life daily. See, when Jesus knows about his disciples is that they're going to be tempted to lose heart. When he leaves them for this earth and through his ascension, he knows that he wants to train them ahead of time. And so Jesus turns to his disciples. If you want to pick up with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 again. We're picking back up into verse 22. So at this point in time, Jesus turns away from the Pharisees and back to his disciples and says to them, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. They'll say to you, see there or see here. Don't follow or run after them. For as the lightning flashes from horizon to horizon and the lights up the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, it is necessary that he suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. See, this talk of Jesus about signs reminds me back to that road trip we took. And if you've ever driven for long stretches, you've seen plenty of signs along the way. You see signs that say speed limit, 65 miles an hour. Speed limit, 70 miles an hour. Right, you see signs that say town coming up in 45 miles. This town's 217 miles away. You see the state signs as you travel through states, right? It says, welcome to Nebraska. Or you see signs that say, welcome to Iowa. And my wife gets the camera and says, honey, we need to take a picture of the Iowa sign. You know, because everyone knows you want, to, once you, want, you want everyone to know that you've been to Iowa, right? That's an important part. <laughs> um, and so as we're thinking about signs, as you get closer to the Colorado mountains in the Colorado Rockies, you see these signs for weird things then. This place to stop off and says, hey, we've got all the souvenirs and things you could ever want. Hey, here's, here's what you need to stop at before the Rocky Mountains. This is what you've come to see. And if you stop off at these places, you, you might find T-shirts. You might find things like magnets or coasters. You might even find like a little snow globe that when you shake it, has a little snow that falls on the little Rocky Mountains inside there. But it's not the thing that you set out to find. It's not the thing that you're fixing your eyes on. And so there's all these things along the road that may tempt them. And Jesus tells them that. He says, you're going to hear people tell you, hey, this is when Jesus is coming. This is when he's coming. But don't fix your eyes on them. Fix your eyes on me, the author and perfecter of your faith. And so as we think about this idea of a road trip, Jesus just got done and finished telling the Pharisees, right, don't look here or don't look there. He tells his disciples, hey, people are going to tell you, look here and look there. And so he encourages them and tells them, don't follow after them. Follow after me and what you know to be true. There's people now in our very day and age, a quick internet search, let's find these things, of people telling you, hey, look this way. I have some special knowledge about Jesus. Hey, I know when that return is coming. I know this, I know that. Yet we're to fix our eyes on Christ. We're to study his scripture, to know him. So in the same way, I want us to long to be with Christ this morning as his disciples long to be with him, but not pulled or swayed by false messages about him. Jesus himself says in this scripture that his second coming is going to be unmistakable. He gives this description of lightning flashing across the sky. On our most recent trip that we took, we were out in Utah. It's pretty flat in a lot of places out there. And at one point in time, we could see this big, dark cloud rolling in from the sky. And sure enough, lightning flashing across the sky. And when it happens, you can't miss it. Right? It's something you can see really clearly. And so the same thing, it's not going to be a localized storm like the one in Utah. But this is going to be a global event that when Jesus returns, it'll be sudden and it'll be unmistakable. 
So Jesus has addressed twice now to the Pharisees and disciples that his second coming isn't going to be dictated by man's timing, but it's going to be sudden and unmistakable. However, at the end of this part, in verse 25, he does state what's going to have to happen first. I want to zero in on that part of our passage for just a moment as we read through verse 25 a couple times and pick out a few words here. There's something that tells us about Jesus knowing he knows who he is. He knows that he is the Messiah. He is the one prophesied about in the Old Testament, here currently in physical form, speaking to his disciples. So one of the things we see is this wording, son of man. This is one of Jesus' most common ways of referring to himself. And it harkens back to Daniel chapter 7, where we hear one coming as the son of man, sitting next to the father. And this is the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm here now. I am that Messiah. There's other wording we see in this verse about Jesus needing suffering to come and also that he would have to uh, be rejected by this generation. That mirrors uh, wording from Isaiah 53, a chapter that if you read in its entirety, declares the glory of the Messiah and shares with what that will look like. And I just want to read a couple of the verses here with you so we can see the mirroring of that language Jesus says that his suffering and rejection must first come. So in Isaiah 53, it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from, and he was despised and we didn't value him. See, Jesus is going to come again suddenly and unmistakably, but he's come now so that the sinner, which includes you and me, could be redeemed. Jesus has come and shared in so many of his uh, different parables about the purpose for his coming. This week in VBS, we're actually going to study a couple of these parables. The idea that Jesus has come to rescue the lost sheep. That Jesus has come so that the prodigal may, may be restored. He came so that you and I might have a way to be reconciled to God the Father through him. He came so that it was stated later on in Isaiah 53 might be fulfilled. Which states, but he was pierced because of our rebellion. Crushed because of our iniquities. And punishment for our peace was on him. And that we are healed by his wounds. Jesus does want his disciples to know that he will return again. But he doesn't want them to miss the point that he is here now to do the will of his Father. Having lived a perfect life, willing to suffer and die for the sins of man, to be raised to life, defeating sin and death, and to be seated even now at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So Jesus says the day of the Son of Man, his second coming, will be sudden and unmistakable, yet there are things that must first happen, namely his suffering and rejection, his death and resurrection. I'd have to imagine all this would have been somewhat confusing for the disciples at the time. He just told the Pharisees that uh, the kingdom of God is here in his midst, and yet he's talking to us about all these things that are to come. And so Jesus goes on to use some Old Testament um, stories to tell about not necessarily when this is going to happen or what the timing will be, but what it's going to be like in that second coming. And so we're going to continue on. If you want to pick up in verse 26 with me, we're going to read a little bit about what it was like in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. So in verse 26 it says, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People went on eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It will be the same as it was in the days of Lot. People went on eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building, but on the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. 
See, in both those accounts, if you read from the Old Testament, the people in those days of Noah and Sodom in the days of Lot are often described as corrupt and wicked and sinful. Yet in our scripture, our passage this morning, it doesn't focus on those things. If we read what it actually is describing about them doing, <clears throat> they're really common activities. The first two things are eating and drinking. Two things I'm, I'm guessing you probably participated already in today. Other things described are marrying, buying, selling, planting, and building. Just things that happen through everyday life. So the key here is the idea that these aren't necessarily simple things, but they're lived a life indifferent to God. All these activities they're talking about are things that are life unconcerned with God, going about their daily business. So then Jesus goes on to talk to his disciples, say that's what it's going to be like, and gives them even more further specific descriptions of these possibilities along with the warning. And so we're going to finish up our scripture reading here for the morning, picking back up in verse 31, where Jesus says, On that day, a man on the housetop whose belongings are in the house must not come down to get them. Likewise, the man who's in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you on that night, two will be in bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they ask him. And he says to them, where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be. At the end of his statements, the disciples question, where is this going to take place? Still trying to figure all this out. And he tells them what's most likely a Jewish proverb in where the corpse is, there also the vultures will be gathered. It's a weird statement, but it invokes this thought of me just driving down a country road here in central Illinois with corn on one side and beans on the other. And out in the road, I see some birds circling out in the distance. I, I haven't seen what's there yet, but I, I know, right, death has occurred there. And as I come up over that hill, sure enough, you can see some animals met its untimely demise there in the road. <clears throat> Jesus is saying again that his second coming will be sudden and unmistakable. There will be a point in time in the future where those who know Christ and have given their lives to him will be with him in eternal glory. And those who have not, those who have lived lives on their own terms, will be in eternal punishment separated from God. Sudden and unmistakable. See, I want to take this idea of hindsight now and, and walk our way back through our scripture here. As we've gotten to the end, let's, let's work back through towards the beginning and see some things that we can take from this as well for us here right now today. So we see two people at work, one taken and one left. Two people at sleep, one taken and one left. Sudden and unmistakable. And the disciples have to be thinking right now, trying to capture all of what their Lord is saying, but trying to understand it as well. And I know even me right now, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, sudden and unmistakable, if that's the case, then, then what am I to do? And so walking away backwards, again, previously in the scriptures, Jesus gives two examples of the men who are on the rooftop and the one in the field saying, don't go back and hold on to your life. Don't go back to get your belongings. Don't return to the field. Instead, remember my words. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. We hear those words this morning, we go, okay, Jesus, I, I know those are your words. I've heard those before. If we turn backwards in Luke, we can hear Jesus echoing that same thing earlier on. Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. You think, I, I know these are your words, Jesus. Yet I've lived enough life to know that I'm fully incapable of doing that on my own. 
I can't on my own lose my life for your sake. I'm more likely to lose sight of my identity found in you. I've wandered. I've sinned. As you read about those people from Noah's time and Lot's time, you go, I've been that person living a life indifferent to God. I understand that no judgment's going to one day come, and it's going to be sudden and unmistakable, so what am I to do? Well, as we think about hindsight and walk our way back through our passage from this morning, I want us to think about a few things. One, God's righteous judgment will come suddenly and unmistakably. In light of that, there's two ways to live. And the knowledge and hope that we have a place in God's kingdom through faith in Christ, or that we're on our way to death because we've never repented and given our life to Christ, instead choosing to live for ourselves. Three, that we are incapable of saving ourselves. It's only through our Messiah, Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, that we can be reconciled to God. In church, it would be good of us to remind ourselves on a daily, moment-by-moment basis, and to remind our brothers and sisters of Jesus' words that the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right now, right here, this very morning, this dreary July morning here in the central Illinois area, all over the world, in places that we may have never been to uh, and never have been to, God is at work through his Holy Spirit, giving those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ power to walk in conforming life to Christ. They've been adopted into the family of God. And while God's kingdom isn't of this earth, it's not a physical place, there's expressions of his kingdom all over the world where those who know Christ as their Lord and their Savior and their King gather together as his church. So we right here this morning, young and old alike, whatever age you are, whatever experience you have, are an expression of God's kingdom if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We've been saved by God's grace alone. And so I want us to think just for a moment more. I'm going to have the kids come up here in a moment, but this is going to be for all of us. Think about what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so if we've got our sun chaser, any kids you want to come up here this morning, I want you guys to come up and gather up front with me. So if you guys want to go ahead and make your way out from the aisles, if you want to kind of gather up here in this front space, I want to talk to you guys here for just a moment. So yeah, if you guys, if, yeah, if you are feeling a little timid, Maybe you've got a friend with you or a brother or a sibling you want to come up with you. If you guys just want to come sit up here for just a moment, I've got something. Yeah, you guys can sit down right here if you want to. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture to see our church all gathered together, young and old alike, learning about who Jesus Christ is and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And so you guys, you guys know what's in this Tupperware container. Can you see? Yeah, there's some water in here. I've been really careful not to spill it, so I've got a lid on it because I felt that wouldn't be really good if I had it all over me, right? Okay, so we've got some water. And in here, let's pick this one. You guys, you guys know what this is? That is a sponge, isn't it? It's actually quite a few different sponges. You guys know what colors? What colors do you see on the sponge? Pink, green, and orange. Yeah, those are some good colors. And some blue? I don't know. There's some colors there, right? We've got a sponge here. There's green, isn't there? Yeah. And so there's little pieces of sponge all over. These are really good on a hot summer day to dunk in the water and uh, to play catch with. Or if your parents allow, you can toss them at, at, at someone, but I would say gently, right? Um, I'll let you guys, when you will get to walk up with these, you can decide what you want to do with them. But I want to take a moment and think about this as our life. Right? So you guys see this one little orange part. First off, you think this sponge is dry or wet? Let me ask you that. It's dry, right? So if we take this one little orange part, and I'm going to dip that little part in the water. Oh, we can see. See, it's dripping out there. All right. 
All right, so the sponge is all wet now, right? All of it? No? No? Just this little part? This part over here is dry? Okay, so what if I take that orange part and that pink part? Let me, let me, let me try those. We dip those in. All right. Now, surely the sponge is all wet, right? No, it's not? A lot of it's still dry, huh? All right, so I'm going to think about it. As citizens of God's kingdom, those of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, we don't give just a little part of our life. Not just, just here maybe on a Sunday morning. Or maybe, maybe we pray at on, on, on dinner time, right? What are some of the things that you guys do during the day? Play outside? Play outside some more? I like those so far. Huh? What's that? Go swimming? Ride a bike? Go on a gator? Yeah. Watch movies? I like these. Play video games? Ever, have you ever had an argument with a friend or sibling? Yeah. Have you ever had a time where you just laughed so hard you couldn't stop? Yeah. Have you ever had sadness in your life where you've cried before? Yeah. Have you ever had just quiet moments as you were falling asleep? No. I have quiet moments as I fall asleep. Quiet moments when you're waking up. You guys have neighbors? Yeah, talking with your neighbors, right? There's all kinds of things that we do in our life. What's that? You talk to your neighbors? All right, Declan. Every part of our life, right? As citizens of God's kingdom, every part of our life is giving over to him. So let's try this one more time, okay? Let me try this. We're going to... What do you guys think? Is that thing soaked all the way through? Yeah. Every part, as Eli, my son, said when we tried this out, he was all the way down to the rubber band, which is the thing holding it all together here in the middle. Every part of our life is given over to God as a citizen of his kingdom. All right, and so I want you guys to each take one of these home with you. You guys can be able to carry one of these out of here. And when you get home, you can say, why did Mr. Zayer give us this again? And it'll be a good way for you guys to start a conversation this morning. So we're not going to dip them in the water, but if you guys want to grab one out of here, and you guys can head back to your guys' seats. And, yeah, you want to take one? Here we go. You want to take one? Take one of those on back with you to your seat. If you have a sibling who's little and didn't grab one, I'll have some extra ones, I think it looks like, too. You want to take one with you? That's a good one with some pink. Oh, there it goes. How about we leave the wet one here for right now, Declan? And you can take that one back to you, okay? I'm going to put the lid back on the water for right now. We'll get it wet later, okay? Go and take that one back to your seat. I didn't anticipate that. Go and leave that one there. Let's take one right out of the bag here. You want to take that one out of the bag? You guys can take one out of the bag too. So I know the kids are the one up here just a moment ago, but that is a truth that we all need to grasp onto tightly. That's one that we all need to hold onto is the idea that as citizens of God's kingdom, we look forward to his glorious return. Right? But we're called right now to give over our very lives, every aspect of it, into God's kingdom. So as the kids are heading back, I invite Mark, you can come, um, come this direction uh, for us as we transition from our time of worship through the reading of God's word and the study of God's word into a time of worship, of singing together as the corporate body. There's a few things I want us to keep in mind. I want us to consider and I want us to think and to contemplate how we as a corporate body, as part and an expression of God's kingdom together, can live out our identity as part of the kingdom of God, as a body of believers together, as a family of God. 
And individually, I want us to consider as well what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life, not just on the ends, but all the way saturated through. And as we let the Holy Spirit work this morning, this is opportunities for confession to God of areas that we've held on to, places we've been indifferent to God, and to give those places over, to not dip just the end of the sponge in, but let that whole thing submerge. And in all that we do, whether it's as the corporate body of believers, as individuals, that our words, that our actions, and that our thoughts would be in service to our King and our Lord and our Savior Jesus, and that all of it would be done to the glory of God. First John, starting in chapter 2, verse 28. So now, little children, remain in me, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Amen.